welcome to episode number 30 of Gunfighter Cast. As usual, I'm your host, Daniel Shaw. In this episode, I'm going to go ahead and finish up the anti-terrorism series by talking a little bit about hotel security, residential security, and a little bit of family general security. Right before we get into that, I want to let you guys know I've been getting a lot of emails about t-shirts lately, people wanting t-shirts, and I told you guys on Facebook last week that I would probably have some information before next show on t-shirts. Well, I lied. I'm sure no one's ever lied before on Facebook on such a narcissistic website, or narcissistic website. But, yeah, I don't have any information for you. The issue is, I'm in Japan, you're probably in the U.S., and you want a t-shirt. I don't want to have these things made in the U.S., shipped to me to Japan, and then i got to ship back to you. That just raises the cost for you, so I don't want that to happen. So we're working out the details of how uh, we, we can get it going to where you, know, you purchase from me, I send him the cash flow, and he prints them out, and it gets to you for the cheapest amount of money possible on everybody's part. So we get more of my super cool t-shirts that you've just got to have out there. Right, well, that's the, the deal for the t-shirts, if you're wondering. Now, uh, after I finish up talking about those things I just stated uh, in the show, I'm going to hit a little bit of listener email, and then we'll go ahead and call it a show. Before we take a break and get into the show, I just want to remind everybody out there that listens to Gunfighter Cast that Gunfighter Cast is a podcast, all right? I got a couple of emails, actually one, and uh, an iTunes review since the last show saying that the anti-terrorism series is way too long. Now, I got a lot of emails saying they really enjoyed it and some different things that they wanted me to talk about, they wish I would have talked more about, and I agree, I'd like to have talked more about those things. And those are the kind of emails I'm looking for, like, hey, you, you touched on these subjects, which are great, but... I wish you'd have spent a little bit less time on this and more time on that. You know, those are good. That's good feedback to let me know, you know, what you're wanting out there. That lets me know what I should talk about. So if I do something in the future, you know, I, I can hone in on those things or drill down and, and cover those things a little bit more in depth that you're a little bit more interested interested in. Now, that's what helps me make a better show. Saying the show's way too long, you know, it's a podcast. It's free and you can pause these things you can fast forward you could load it into an editing software such as what I use to record the show and you can cut it shorter if you want You, it, the longevity of the show I, I just don't see that as anything that's positive or negative as a feedback uh, for uh, anything so I just wanted to remind you guys that this is a podcast it's perfectly fine for you to go ahead and push pause stop it You know, stop listening when you're tired of it. You know, it's, a, it's a podcast just, just throwing it out there I know when I listen to other people's podcasts, I usually can't listen for an hour straight, so I pause multiple times, uh, depending on what's going on. Thanks anyway for the uh, recommendations, guys. But right now, we're going to go ahead and take a little quick break and get right into the show. Can anyone at the Brady Campaign perform basic math? Once again, the Brady Campaign released their state-by-state scorecard of who has enacted gun control laws that the Brady Campaign claims are effective. The Brady Campaign praises restrictive California with a high score of 79 and gives restriction-free Utah a zero. Yet, according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, California has a violent crime rate more than double that of Utah. This clearly shows one of two things. Either gun control enables violent criminals, or the Brady campaign is incapable of rational thought. Or both. Arm yourself with facts to strip the gun control industry bare. Visit gunfacts.info and get your free copy of Gun Facts. 
called Indispensable by Cam Edwards of NRA News. Gun Facts is your rapid reference guide to debunking gun control myths and shaming politicians into obedience. www.gunfacts.info All right, welcome back. Hotel security. All right, let's get into that a little bit because this is a lot more fun. Everybody would probably agree with me if I said something to the effect of your house is probably a bit safer than your hotel. Now, depending on where you're from, where you live, and that kind of thing, how you live, that may not be so true. But for most people, I know I could buy a steel door and put it in front of my house. I can put little cool little dowel rods and stuff to where my windows can't be open unless they're broken. I can do a lot of those things in my house. In my hotel, those things may or may not be done. Uh, I probably don't have a steel door. I probably have the cheapest door they could possibly buy to build this hotel. It's just not going to be as safe as my home. We're going to talk a little bit about how you can make that hotel room as safe as possible. All right, first, you've got to choose the right hotel. Now, if you're, moving, if you're going to a different state, you're traveling in the U.S., and you don't know where to stay. Say you're here for some kind of convention, or you're in this area for uh, just recreation or whatever, you know, holiday. Ask the local police department or ask the local fire department. They're going to tell you which hotels to not go to. And they're going to give you some good recommendations on the ones you probably should stay at. Now, they might not have a whole huge layout, a brief of why you should stay here, why it's so great and safe and everything. But they're going to at least say, hey, these are the hotels you don't want to go to. These are the best ones. So choose the right hotel and make it an informed decision. And the informed decision would be asking the informed people. Police, fire, that kind of thing. They're going to know. If you're overseas, stop and ask the consulate. Or ask the embassy. Just give them a call. Where should I stay? Uh, what's the best place? What's a bad place? You know, that kind of thing. Where should I stay away from? And they're going to give you some good recommendations. They're going to know that. That's their job. They will give you that. Just no trouble whatsoever. And let them know where you're staying at, which is also going to help out. Uh, in the long run, if, in case something happens. I consider your, your, your surroundings. You know, am I in the middle of the bad part of town where I really shouldn't be? Yeah, that's probably not where you want to get a hotel at. Uh, just, just a thought. How far am I from the local police department if they need to respond? Uh, how, how far am I from the local fire if there's some kind of emergency like that? Uh, wh- where's the nearest fire station? That kind of thing. Just keep those in mind when you're selecting the place. And you also need to think about room selection. Where are you going to stay in this hotel? The best place you could stay is somewhere between the three or third and seventh floor. If you can get in there, you're not right on the ground level, especially if you're overseas and you're talking about car bombs and all kind of stuff like that. If you're on the third floor or below, then you could possibly get some some damage from that uh, initial explosion, that car bomb. Uh, But you don't want to have that happen. And maybe that's still, again, too far-fetched for some of you, but then some of you, you're going to understand that. It's not a problem. A bomb, uh, it could be anything. That happens in the U.S., happens overseas, you know, whatever. The seventh floor is still high enough to be okay. It's still good. And you're also able to get the local fire department is going to have ladders that are going to be able to get to you uh, with their tower trucks and all kind of stuff. They're still going to be probably reach up to the seventh floor with no trouble. And also, you're going to have access to escape routes and different, uh, you know, fire escapes and that kind of thing if you're around the seventh floor. You go a lot higher than that in some buildings, you start having issues with different things that I just talked about. So just keep those in mind. Third and seventh floor, pretty good choices. It's also high enough to discourage an outside break-in. Right? If I was on the, the first floor, I could I would probably pick a room that I'm going to break into, be on the first or the second floor. I don't have to climb too much to get to. 
but being on the third or higher, it, it's kind of going to discourage somebody from the outside breaking in from the outside. If they're going to do you harm or break into your hotel room, it's going to be from the inside. And we'll talk a little bit about that here in just a second, because uh, you should probably try to get a room that's the best place is going to be within view or very, very close to being in view of a main common area or a main area where uh, maybe not a common area where a lot of people will be living or staying in the hotel are going to be, but an area where there's a lot of hotel staff in the area. They're always around there, maybe a front desk or some kind of other desk or, or whatever. It would be a very good choice for you to stay where because that just the fact of having the hotel staff could deter somebody from doing something. And if something did happen, they could see it and report it. So that those are probably pretty good choices for uh, requesting a room. You don't have to take the same room that you have reservations for. If you have the uh, suspicion that someone's following you or something's going on, or maybe you're some kind of a high risk or that kind of thing, when you check in, tell me you want a different room than you had reservations for and go to a different room. If you've been staying there for a few days and you feel like you're at risk or something going on, Tell them you want to move to a different hotel room. Throw them for a loop. Don't make it easy for them. Make it harder for them in their planning process. Move to a different room. Change hotels if you, if you have that option. Not a problem. Just different little things to think about. But try to get one that, that opens up to the interior, not to the exterior. Or exterior. And uh, like where the hotel staff could see, like I told you. Um, the exterior entrances of most hotels are always uh, much less protected. So just keep those things in mind as well. In the hotel, do your best to minimize your exposure and just blend in. Look like everybody else that's there. You know, just don't, don't, don't do anything to stand out. Right? Say somebody comes to your door. Somebody comes to your door and they're knocking on your door and they've got a package for you. And they're like, uh, you know, wait, hello, I'm so-and-so from the hotel and I've got a package for you. Tell them to go downstairs and leave it with the front desk. Or you can call the front desk to verify that this person is legitimate and you do legitimately have a package. Don't just take it for granted like, oh wow, a package, well that's great. Especially when you're not expecting a package. And now, next thing you know, somebody's in your room and you're gonna get dead. Or kidnapped, or hurt, or killed, or worse. Who knows? So, think a little bit before you, uh, you make decisions. Change your routines and patterns around the hotel, you know, that kind of thing. Don't let anybody know your room location. If you've got somebody who's kind of suspicious, and maybe he's following you or something around the hotel. Or maybe, say an individual sitting in the lobby, and now you walk in and you go to the elevator. He gets up and walks to the elevator because he's all of a sudden got to go somewhere. You probably shouldn't push the button for your hotel room. Or you should push another button. Get off on the wrong floor. See if this guy's following you. It, you don't have to get off on your floor. Take the stairs a couple of floors. Say you're on the sixth floor. Get off on the fourth floor and walk up a couple stairs. You know, don't let this guy know where you're going. If you have any kind of suspicions like that, do do random things like that so they can't find out where you're actually staying in your exact room number. If there's any emergency numbers in the area that you need to call other than 911, like if you're overseas, write those things down. Have them next to the phone so you can use them quickly. Have them programmed into your cell phone if you have a local cell phone. Just keep those things on standby, ready to go, so you don't have to go. Whenever you're actually nervous trying to find a number or something's going on and you're trying to find a number, you should have already had that. You should have thought ahead. It only would take you about a minute to get that stuff prepared that could save your life. You know, when I go to a hotel, I always leave my TV on. And I turn it up a little bit. You're not paying a power bill. You've already paid your bill or whatever. You don't have to worry about that. Turn your TV on. Make it sound like you're in there. Uh, turn your AC on. You can do all that. 
Alright, make it seem like you're actually in the place. Now, if you've got some valuables, I would actually say hide them somewhere in the hotel room if there are good hiding spots, if you're going to leave them in there. Uh, some people will say put them in the hotel safe. If you've ever watched YouTube enough, you probably came across some hotel safe videos. Pretty much any kindergartner can break into a hotel safe. It's kind of ridiculous how easy they are to get into. Unless you're in some kind of high class, high speed hotel, you're pretty much, your safe's pretty much not safe. Whenever you come back into the room, like you've been out or whatever, and you come back in, take a look around, see if there's been any tampering or somebody's been in that room. If you can see that initially as soon as you walk through the door, then you probably shouldn't go in that room. But definitely look for any kind of suspicious activity or something that's been going on, or definitely somebody's been in there. Uh, something's moved, this is out of place, this is missing. Definitely want to let somebody know that that's going on. Uh, whoever the local security force is or, or whatever. Just like we said earlier before, or in the, the past show, just be very sensitive to what somebody might be doing. Some kind of surveillance or asking you questions. Hey, what hotel are you staying at? You know, what room are you in up there? Oh, yeah, I stayed there once. I was in room blah, blah, blah. What room were you in? You know, and, and just, there's just no point. Those are just weird questions. But they'll throw them out there and seem like it's perfectly fine. And so uh, just, just stay away from that and keep an eye open for things. Be safe as you can in those hotels. All right, next thing we're going to talk a little bit about is going to be residential security. Now, I'm not really going to go into choosing a residence uh, because it's kind of the same as a hotel. There's places where you should have a, you should live and places where you probably shouldn't live. Now, there's sometimes when you don't have a choice and you kind of got to live somewhere. But if you're buying a house, buy one in a place where you think you ought to be. You know, and, and not in a place where the crime rate's really high. You know, everybody's bad. Yeah, this is a really cheap house, but you know what? Every time I buy something, it's going to come up missing. So I probably shouldn't live here. Now, that's not the saying that the bad guys aren't coming over to the nice, na- nice neighborhoods. Because, yeah, of course the bad guys are coming to the nice neighborhoods. But you know what I'm saying. If you're scared to let your kids go out in your backyard and play, that's because of the neighbors. That's probably not where you should live. So I'm not going to go overboard crazy into choosing a residence. But I will talk about what you should have on the interior and the exterior. Uh, it'd be great if you had more than one access road and a very close proximity to police or any other kind of emergency service like ambulance or a hospital nearby, a fire department. Having that kind of asset near you is going to make things a lot better. Because, you know, it may not be somebody trying to hurt you. It may not be a self-defense situation. It could just be a choking thing. It could be a drowning accident. It could be, you know, it could be anything. Having a hospital nearby and having, you know, those ambulances and EMS nearby could make a huge difference. Could decide whether someone lives or dies. I know basic first aid, CPR. With the appropriate tools, I could do okay. But... I can't do near what those paragods can do. And, you know, the people that pull up in that ambulance. And there's, these guys are amazing. I've seen them do some crazy stuff. Whatever you, you your first aid you have, you know, they're, they're just top-notch. They're amazing. Being close to that is, uh, is definitely an asset. Having a fence, a big perimeter fence wall, would be a great thing for you to have if you can afford that kind of thing or if you have the actual space for it uh, or, you know, your lot's big enough for it. Having a big fence would definitely help things out. Uh, having, you know, not a lot of trees in the area to that fence and seeing if someone's approaching, uh, you, you could see how far they are from you or that someone's coming. They can't, they don't really have a place to hide from after the time they climb the fence to get to your house. 
that would definitely be a deterrent for them, and it also help you in case you know you were looking, you'd be able to see something. Or say you heard something and it directed your attention to that area. There's nowhere for them to hide. You're definitely going to notice them. You're going to detect them out there. Have a garage. Like I talked about the last show or the one before that. Having a garage with that uh, button pushing, or button pushing, that uh, push button garage door opener uh, would definitely be great with a remote. Definitely an asset. Having good lighting in the area. Now, I've heard people say before that bad guys breaking in your house do not like light. And I've heard people say that they like light so they can see what they're doing. And I don't, I'm not so sure how much they care about that. If, if there's a house in the middle of nowhere and nobody's home, I really don't think they care how much light there is. But if you're in a, you know, a suburban neighborhood and you have a lot of light outside your house, they and there's, there's, you know, your neighbor's not too far from you, you definitely can see each other with no trouble whatsoever. I'd say in that case, they probably don't like light because now they're easily seen. But it just depends on the, the area that you're in. So you make a decision on that, whether you want to have a lot of light. I would definitely, myself, choose to have a lot of light, no matter where I am. I may not have all those lights on at once. I may wait for them to make some noise or do something I got an indicator. Hey, there might be somebody outside. And then I turn on my secondary lights or my other lights I have outside. Use your imagination, whatever you can afford to do or whatever you have. Uh, do what you can, but definitely lighting. If you're trying to see a bad guy, light is definitely a great asset. All right, so, uh, but you just want to be keep in mind, or you want to think about how you're appropriately using that light. And shrubs outside your house, um, trees outside your house, giving them a place to hide. Just a, a couple of things to think about. If you say if you're living in the states, this isn't such a big deal. Uh, depending on what kind of high-profile individual you are. Uh, putting your name on your mailbox or, or somewhere out front where everybody can see may not be a great idea. Living overseas, it may not be a great idea. Um, you know, I live in Japan, and having a last name like Shaw on my mailbox probably wouldn't be a great idea. You know, that if I was living out in town, that would definitely be. Hey, I'm looking for a bad uh, somebody who's not Japanese, an American to kill tonight. Oh, there's a Shaw. Hey, there we go. Let's go break into that house. Murderous family. You know, probably not the best choice to do. Maybe that's an extreme circumstance, but it makes things easier for them. And our goal here is to not make anything easy for the bad guys. All right, entrances and exits to your house. You, you want layers the best you can. All right, have a solid door. A solid door. Not a hollow door for your front door. Get a solid steel door or at least steel core door. Something for that front door. Uh, and all your doors, make them as solid as possible. Throw some deadbolts on them. You know, there's really no point in having a deadbolt. I see people all the time that have front doors that are like steel core. They've got a deadbolt on there. They got the little chain thing. They got the little bar thing that rolls over. You know, they got all kind of stuff on that front door, but their back door has uh, just a lock, just a little doorknob. That's it. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. You know, if I came to a steel door in my front that I was going to probably break into, and I saw that he had deadbolts. You know, I'm going to go check the back door. Oh, back door doesn't have anything. Well, this is where we're going in. Just got a new entry point. It's easy. That's common sense. That's common sense for criminals. That's common sense for good guys. You know, it's nothing to that. So if you're going to, there's no point in just fortifying your front door. Do it to all your doors that come into your house. Have a peephole so you can see who's out there. Maybe even have peepholes at a couple of different ones. One for your kid, you know, one for uh, you. you know, a couple of different heights out there on the door. 
bright lights next to the door that light up everything in front of the door, around the door so you can see uh, if someone rings your doorbell you don't see anybody out there you hit those lights that could be a deterrent and they might even if they're out there hiding wait for you to come open the door who knows uh, hit those lights turn them on having a lot of lights on that door around that door very very good idea if you have um, the, if you've got a lot of windows in your house or any windows in your house it's a good idea to have the glass grating out there or have a metal grating some kind of bars on your windows now, there are lots of different companies out there now that are making bars for windows that it looks like it doesn't look like you're you know in jail some of these look very very nice and very legitimately uh, well constructed uh, good looking aesthetic bars for windows they're gonna keep somebody from breaking a window and going in your house and that combined with your steel door all that stuff you just made a very very safe home so just a couple of things to look at if you're looking, thinking about you know fortifying your house. Having an alarm definitely is going to be a good thing. It's going to help you out. Is it as good as having a gun and being able to protect yourself? Absolutely not. Is it as good as actually identifying there's a bad guy and calling 911? No, because that alarm goes off, and then they call you a few times, nobody answers, and eventually they send somebody. Or they call you and you answer, and you're like, oh, no, it was no big deal, or, or yeah, so there's somebody in my house that's not going to do anything, but for some people that could be somewhat a deterrent, depending on what you know their plan is, or what they're going to do. Having it is one more thing, and it's it's kind of uh, after you've got everything else in place and you've, you're ready to protect yourself. You have a plan, you have a firearm, you know how to use it, you've gotten the training and everything. The alarm is something to supplement everything else. It helps out. It's not something that you want to rely on. That is not going to save your life. Just because you have an alarm in your house, it is not going to save anything. All right, uh, having fire extinguisher placed around your house, definitely a good idea. You know, fire uh, kills a lot of people every year. Having fire extinguishers and, and people knowing how to use them can stop that from happening. Having first aid equipment. You know, have first aid equipment in your kitchen, somewhere where everybody knows where it is, and it's within reach of everyone. If something happens, here's the first aid kit. Uh, you can send a kid to go get it, you know, whatever. Just having a first aid kit in your home, not only in your vehicle, not only in your bug out bag and all that stuff, but having one in your house uh, could save some lives. The same thing like in the hotel. If you're taking off for the weekend or you're taking off somewhere, make your house look like you're staying there, like you haven't left. Make it look like if somebody pulled up near there, they would think somebody's there. Leave a few lights on. Don't make it completely dark. Don't shut it all down. Leave, leave a couple of shades open. You know, to make it look like you're actually there. Whatever you think you can do, depending on your layout of your house or whatever you do it to make it look like that your house is still currently lived in. Someone's there right now. It's it's occupied. If you want to break into a place, my house is not the best choice. The one next door may be better. Whatever you got to do to get that across, do it. Always keep control of your house keys. If your kids lose a house key, that could be a serious problem. All right? Maybe he's a forgetful kid and he just loses stuff all the time. He just falls out of his pocket. Maybe not so much, but if he's, you know, he thinks somebody might have took that key, then you got a little bit more of a problem. And, you know, just case by case basis there for that. But definitely want to keep control of those keys. And make sure you lock all your doors. People all the time not locking their doors. You know, why even have a door if you're not going to lock it? You know, lock your doors, people. Seriously. Develop a good, friendly relationship with your neighbor. That way you know you trust them, they trust you. Uh, if they're away, they can look over your house a little bit. If you're away, you know, you're going to look over their house a little bit. Keep an eye on it. I talked about a few things about people coming into your house, trying to sell things, solicitation, 
just be very skeptical of that and don't let them in your home. What I do whenever I have, uh, you know, religious people or people trying to sell something, they try to come into my house, I'll see them out there. I'll answer the, answer the door most of the time, and I usually have a pistol on my hip if I'm in the States. Because, you know, I've talked before about I carry in my house. I think the safest place for a firearm in the home is on your hip in a holster. So I walk to the door, walk out the door, shut the door behind me, and, you know, stand there and talk with them. And have a conversation and see if they're legitimate or not. And I won't invite them into my house. I don't know them from anywhere. I don't care who they say they're from, what kind of charity it is, what church it is. I don't know them. I'm not just going to invite them into my house to come stand in there. It's just no way. Just some things you don't do. Now, I talked about this a little bit before. Whenever you've got you know children on Facebook or they're on MySpace or whatever they're on, one of these social networking sites, it's a terrible idea for that kid to say something like, uh, I'm here at home again, mom's working late, dad's still at work, and here I am. But, you know, I, I've seen things like that before. I've heard about that before. Not something that you want to do. child should not be putting those things out there. Be careful what your kids say. Uh, what would the, the kid know has a plan if he's there if you do leave your children at home by themselves they have a plan you have a neighbor they trust if they get scared or something happened they know what neighbor they go to and that neighbor knows that they're going to come if that kid ever gets scared and just work that out amongst yourselves so your kid has a place to go and you've got a plan if something goes on uh, what they have numbers to call if something happens all the numbers to the emergency services are posted next to the telephone that way there's no question you don't have to memorize them and trying to recall it from memory whenever they're really scared, hands are shaking, and they're very nervous or worried about somebody trying to come in the house, and now they got to remember some phone number to so-and-so. Not a good idea. Have it posted there so they know what numbers to call. If it's not 911 or something else, if it's more complicated, have that stuff ready to go. Uh, just touching on telephone a little bit, just speaking on that. Once you get those emergency numbers by the phone and all that stuff, great, but... When you answer the phone, I've heard it before. I've called people's house, and they'll say, Staff Sergeant Shaw, residence, this is so-and-so Shaw speaking. You know, that just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Why would you, I mean, you, first of all, get over yourself and realize that there's more in the world than just your job. But uh, second, you know, you don't want to give out every bit of information. Because right then, if they're looking for you and they're checking, they already know, hey, this is the place I need to go. But maybe you want to say, hey, just Hello. That might would be a good thing to do. And let them initiate the conversation and see where they go with it. If they start trying to dig for information, you don't recognize them, it might be an indicator that I want to get off the phone and or you know, write down that phone number because you know, everybody's got caller ID these days. Just a couple of ideas there, people. If you're gonna leave your house for a while, check with that neighbor. Check with that neighbor, say, Look, I'm taking off for a while. I trust you, watch over my house. Keep an eye. You see anything strange, let somebody know. And I'll return the favor whenever you leave for a while. Say you got kids and you want to go to play out in the, uh, some play area, playground. You know, be mindful of what playground you're going to go take your kids to, You know where it's at. Uh, is it one of the you know areas in your actual apartment complex, your house, your housing complex? Uh, you know, you want to keep an eye. Like If you want to take your kid out to the play area, uh, use the approved play areas for your complex, whatever the apartment is or, you know, your housing complex, go to the ones you're supposed to be using. Be careful going to some other middle-of-nowhere play areas or someplace you're not familiar with. You don't know the area very well. You don't know the terrain. You don't know where to take your kid to if something goes wrong. Uh, if you're in those play areas that are in the local complex, you're going to know that 
hey, this is so-and-so. I see him out before with his kid. I've seen this guy with this with his child, and this is her. I've seen this these two women with their kids. I, you start developing a pattern. You start getting file folders on families in the area, and you start knowing what kid belongs to who. That not only protects your child, but it protects other people's children as well. If some strange guy is now dealing with you know some other girl that you little girl that you realize that you already knew uh, was so and so's little girl, you might want to let somebody know about that and stop whatever's happening or from going to happen. Who knows? But it's going to help you and everyone else to go to those usual play areas and where you recognize people who belong and you recognize people who may not belong and they stand out and you can report that. Uh, you might do a lot of good by doing that. So just a couple more little tips there for you. And I don't think it kind of goes without saying, you know, we still, uh, car rides, um, it, I don't think I need to insult any intelligence. We don't talk to strangers as kids. Uh, you don't get in the car with anyone to give you a ride, even if you don't want to walk anymore. Don't ever get in the car with anybody. Uh, just be real careful what you put on the Internet. And this is an issue that I've been coming across here lately. Kids on the Internet, you know, your family security. You know, I mentioned a little bit earlier about mentioning things or saying things on Facebook that you shouldn't be saying uh, that could make you more of a target or let someone know that you're a easy target. Uh, but also, you know, kids on there, on the Internet, you know, I think it's the Facebook and MySpace is what the telephone was to me when I was my kid's age. Uh, now it's, uh, that's the new thing. I don't have any issue at all when my son gets a little bit older and he actually cares about getting off Facebook. I'm going to be like, yeah, you know, I'll help you set it up. Let's do it. But you better believe that I've got every password and I'm on there and I'm checking it. And I'm doing searches and I'm making sure he doesn't make no other uh, Facebook account or some other account somewhere else. I'm looking all the time. I got key loggers on his, his machine that he uses. I'll have everything set up to where I know everything my kid's doing. Now, some people might say that that's, you know, I'm violating my kid's privacy. And, I'm, you know, I completely disagree. In my opinion, as a parent, my kid doesn't deserve any privacy whatsoever. You know, I'm training that guy to be a good man, a good adult, and him grow up the right way. And I know as a kid, I made a lot of mistakes. And uh, as a kid, he's going to make a lot of mistakes, but at the same time, I got to protect him. And if it hurts his feelings a little bit in the protection process, so be it. He'll appreciate it one day. But um, keep tabs on that. See what they're doing. Make sure they're doing the right thing. Right? You may or may not agree with me on that, but that's just that's my stance. But anyway, that's pretty much all we got for the anti-terrorism. I pr pretty much just ended the anti-terrorism series. And uh, I know maybe the residential security and that stuff wasn't quite as interesting as some of the other stuff we talked about, if in fact any of that was interesting to you at all. Uh, but what we're going to do now is we're going to take another little break and come right back. And i got a couple of emails I'm going to hit, and that's it. The gun control industry keeps clamoring for national ballistic fingerprint databases and micro-stamping technology to be made mandatory for new firearms. This is an odd position, given that the Department of Justice said that fingerprinting systems, quote, do not provide conclusive results, and the BATF Journal says that 46% of micro-stamping impressions ranked as unsatisfactory, and that micro-stamps wear away after as few as 10 rounds. Why then the push for failed technologies? Because all these schemes require firearm registration to be remotely useful, and registration is useful to the gun control industry for confiscation purposes. As is always the case with gun control proposals, there is a different agenda than crime control. Arm yourself with facts to strip the gun control industry bare. 
Visit gunfacts.info and get your free copy of Gun Facts. Called Indispensable by Cam Edwards of NRA News, Gun Facts is your rapid reference guide to debunking gun control myths and shaming politicians into obedience. www.gunfacts.info All right, welcome back. Told you I hit a few emails, and that's what we're about to do, and then we're going to call the show. First email is from Aaron Pelouz. I hope I didn't kill that name too bad. But anyway, he says, Daniel, on more than one occasions, you talked about painting gear. Sometime this summer, I'm planning on giving my AR-10 a paint job, inspired by your gun painting episode. I would like to hear your thoughts on other gear painting in a future podcast. Um, painting other gear, I pretty much paint every piece of gear that I have. If it's definitely not a natural color, it gets paint on it. I had a camera once that I painted so it would blend in, that it was never out of its package, uh, the, which would happen to be black, which isn't very good camouflage, but I didn't paint it because it wouldn't hold paint very well because the material was made out of. Different story altogether. But yeah, paint your gear. Holster. I'm a huge fan of Safariland holsters. Not so much the new ones with the little new tabs they got to push the holster down for the retention system. Don't really care for those too much, but hope the ones they're going to bring back when they realize that nobody likes their new ones for the drop leg tactical style holsters I'm talking about here this, those holsters they're they're made of Kydex um, black's not a good color if you don't get one of the cool guy color ones that actually blend into the environment you're going to be in throw some spray paint on it say I'm going to the desert environment I could spray paint that thing tan maybe throw a little bit a little something in there a couple different type, called shades of tan to make it really camouflaged and blend the rest with whatever else I'm wearing or whatever terrain I'm in uh, if I'm going to uh, jungle environment and spray painting green you know it's just so easy to, to change these things around it doesn't cost hardly anything it's very very effective to just spray paint these things not a problem at all your gear you'll find that painting the nylons and different plate carriers I've had green ones before uh, that were very very green like a green plate carrier that's extremely green like an unnatural green so what I did was make it a natural color whether I'm darkening it up with some more greens or lightening it up a little bit with some tans. And uh, it ends up turning out really, really well. If you have something black and that's all you have, you can make it a little bit more natural color. Now, it's really hard to make dark things light again. That's why if you've got something, keep it as light as possible. That way, if you go to a dark environment, you can make it a little bit darker, different colors that are darker. Uh, it's harder to make dark things light again, especially if you're talking about nylons. Uh, that it actually absorb a lot of the color and a lot of the paint. So just those are a couple of things that you might want to think about when you're painting. But yeah, by all means, if you got a piece of gear that it just it's kind of standing out, or you know, you're in your terrain and you got buddies looking at you and they're like, wow, this is really standing out. This one thing is really standing out. Yeah, throw some spray paint on it. It's probably gonna help out a lot. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. And I hope that answers your question for you. Thanks for asking it, by the way. Alright, David C., I'm just going to paraphrase, basically wants to know, well, he's got some experience in martial arts, and he's kind of looking for one that he wants to stay with and really go for for a long period of time. I think me and Alex are going to talk a little bit about some of this later on. Me and Alex Haddix, we're talking about getting on the same show, he's going to come over to my show, we're going to do a little something, and then we'll see what happens, I might even let me on his show one of these days, who knows. But uh, we're, we're kind of got some stuff in the works, so we've been talking about doing that. But this guy wants to know... Uh, David, he wants to know what I think is the most practical uh, martial art, you know, in my experience, what I've done. And I've taken quite a few martial arts. When I was a young 
buck at like 16 years old. I did a little uh, uh, taekwondo, ended up quitting. Uh, and then I ended up taking, uh, just getting into boxing until actually I went to the Marine Corps. And then obviously I couldn't continue that uh, where I was. And then throughout the years, I've done a few different things uh, with a few different people. Maybe it was formally, sometimes informal. Uh, sometimes uh, actually, you know, paid a lot of money to go to, to some of their dojos or schools, whatever they had going on. But what I have found that has been the most practical for me, for the fights that I've been in in my life, and I'm not talking gun fights, I'm talking hand-to-hand fights. And I've been in a few of those. Anybody who knows me by person has seen my nose and knows how five different ways are crooked it is. And I wear it like a badge of honor. The Navy said they'd fix it. I'm like, no way. I've got to keep my crooked nose. You know, it's a... Uh, I've, I've been in a few. I'm, I'm not a troublemaker. It just used to happen every once in a while. It's been a long time, though. But anyway, you know, what I've found to be the most practical, the most useful... And not only the most useful for, hey, one-on-one, I hate you, you hate me, let's beat each other up. Not only that, but also a couple of guys trying to hurt you and how to defend yourself from them. Or maybe even a step further of, I'm trying to take down this individual to put handcuffs on them. Or I want to do something to do some kind of pain compliance so this guy will respond to what command. And I'm telling you, by far, the best one is, and I don't want to just say Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, because it's not Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I really enjoy doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and a lot of that's very practical for one-on-one fighting. But I like the combat submission wrestling, which is a lot of tie punches, boxing punches, tie kicks, um, some basic karate, taekwondo kicks, basic, basic basic kicks. None of that crazy kick-to-the-head stuff or flying, spinning, heel kick craziness or any of that. Just regular kicks like that anybody can do. You don't have to be a super athlete to do them. Um, but basic punches as well, mixed with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but with no gi. Uh, if you're familiar with, with or familiar with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you'll know that in that you'll wear a gi. And basically, a gi is your opponent's weapon. Your opponent is wearing your weapon, and you're wearing your opponent's weapon in BJJ. Uh, combat submission wrestling, uh, it's regular playing clothes. Things don't revolve around. Uh, doing a, a, a collar choke or uh, doing a pulling, you know, rubber guard where I'm holding onto your sleeves or, you know, something like that. It doesn't revolve around those things. It's all about people in plain clothes fighting in the most practical method as, as, as you possibly can. Now, I've heard some people say before that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is just the end-all, be-all. You know, somebody's attacking you, pull guard. Somebody's trying to do this to you, pull guard. Somebody's trying to rape your wife, pull guard. You know, whatever. And I just think that's just ridiculous. One-on-one pulling guard can be very, very effective. Can work great. Especially if you know how to use that guard. And then also, and I'm on a tangent right now because it just kind of drives me crazy. Uh, but also, you know, I've heard people with like two-on-one pull guard. You know, I can pull guard here. I got a guy on me. And yeah, that guy can't hurt me very bad. But the guy next to me is kicking me in the head. That guard is worthless when you got into a one-on-two situation. It's just no way that guard's going to be effective. You're an idiot if you pull guard. You're pretty much going to die. So, bad idea. But, uh, you know, those are a few different ideas. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed, most of all, uh, combat submission wrestling. And all it is is mixed martial arts. It's just a mixture that... Uh, that produces your very practical fighting. It's pretty popular. You'll, you'll see CSW all over the place. If you get in your area, go go a few times, check it out. You're probably gonna like it and see how practical it is. Uh, it's it's kind of taking the best or the most practical of a lot of different martial arts and putting them into 
uh, something that you could use every day, or hopefully not use every day, but if you have to, you know, you could. All right, I hope that answers your question, David, and thanks for asking it. All right, got a question from Joshua Hartzell, and he talks about, really enjoys the podcast. He's kind of a new to, to guns, and he's a new gun owner. He wants to get, in, he wants to go buy one. I think it's pretty much his first gun. He's been renting at a store or a range, and they don't allow more than, you can't go in by yourself and rent a gun. They kind of a policy where you have to bring a friend if you're going to rent a gun. So he's kind of pushing him to buy a gun, which is a good thing or a bad thing, depending on how you look at it. But he's asking me which pistol he should buy or, you know, what I think about a few different pistols. And he says, of course, Glock, Smith & Wesson, and Beretta are all biased about their guns. And, you know, it doesn't matter what you ask. And I've been asked this a thousand times, and I get in conversations about this every week, at least once or twice a week, uh, whether it's online or, you know, at work or just somebody I run across and we start talking about it. What gun is the best? You know, what caliber is the best? And I... I, he's got the right idea because he talks about what works for him and what fits his hand better and that kind of thing. And he's got the right idea. And hopefully I can give you a few different points here to maybe help you out really decide if you haven't already decided because I know it's been a while. You sent me this in uh, you know, April, middle of April sometime, which is a few days ago. I like 9 millimeters. Me personally, I like 9 millimeters. I like the fact that I don't have to carry multiple magazines. I like the fact that I can get 15 to 20 rounds in the magazine that's in my gun right now. That alleviates a lot of time in the kind of engagements civilians get into or that I would get into in a civilian world. That says you don't have to reload in this fight if you go with par for the course with most engagements. And I think that's great to not have to reload. I don't want to have to reload. Reloading sucks, you know, even if you're great at it. And I pride myself on being pretty fast at reloading, especially a pistol. But I don't want to do it in a fight. So I think having that magazine capacity is a great thing. Now, on the other hand, if someone was standing in front of me right now and they said, look, I'm going to shoot you. Now, your choice, and I have no way of getting out of this. I'm handcuffed or something. There's just nothing I can do. I'm going to get shot. There's just no doubt about it. And they say, I've got a 45, a 40, and a 9mm right here. And I'm going to shoot you. I'm standing five feet from you. Which one do you want me to shoot you with? Well, I'm picking the 9mm every day of the week, obviously. I don't want to get hit by the 45 at that closer range. I don't want to get hit by the 40 at that closer range. I'm going to say, yeah, shoot me with a 9mm. Smaller permanent cavity damage. Uh, smaller temporary cavity. Hopefully he doesn't hit me in a good spot that kills me, that's going to definitely kill me. And hopefully all we're worried about is blood loss and that kind of thing. I, but not getting into ballistics or anything. Yeah, I'm going to pick the 9mm. Does that mean the 9mm is the worst of those three to carry? Absolutely not. If you want magazine capacity, if you want recoil management, if, you, if you're into those things or that's what you want for your wife or she wants or she doesn't like the kick of the 45 or the, the abusiveness of the 40, uh, then that 9 is the way to go. If she does, you don't want her to have to worry about reloading. Just, just pull your trigger until you're safe. You know, the 9mm is the way to go. If you're a, a extreme, I've said this before a few times, if you can just hit the perfect shot every single time scared to death combat cocktail going through your body there's no reason to carry anything over a 22 because you can put the shot right where you need it every time there's absolutely no need to ever carry anything larger than that because you're just that great of a shot now that doesn't really happen in real life it's just not possible it's just not practical for us to be that good and actually in a real life or death situation so you choose the caliber you want do i want 9 40 or 45 I don't know, are you, I, I love a 1911, but for concealed carry, I go with a 9mm for the reasons I've already stated. 
I really think it's a very effective round. And the reason I say it's so effective because I've seen people shot with uh, 7.62 millimeter. I've seen them shot with automatic 7.62 coming from a 40, 240 Golf or a 240 Bravo series machine gun. And they stay alive to fight. They don't go down. I've seen them shot with the 5.56 and they stay alive. They don't go down. They keep fighting. I've seen them shot with the 9mm. First hand knowledge. They keep fighting. They don't go down. But I've also seen them hit with that 240 and they drop like a sack of potatoes. And they're done. I've seen them hit by the 5.56 and it's all over. And I've seen them hit by the 9mm and it just ended just like that. It all depends on marksmanship is what it all comes back to. And it all depends on where that bullet hits. So choosing caliber... Think about the things I just threw out. The magazine capacity. If that's not a problem for you, go with the 45. You're going to get less magazine capacity, a little bit more recoil. But if you don't care about those things, then that 45 is around for you. If you prefer the way the 1911 is, that 45 is probably going to be for you. If you don't like the Glock, that's fine. And I can't tell you a Glock's better than an XD. I can't tell you an XD is better than a, a M&P. I can't tell you that. It's what's better for you. So go out there and bust some caps with all those guns. See which one you shoot the best with, which one you like the best, which one you reload with the best, which one that, that just feels right, that just matches you, the way you shoot, the way you do things, the one that's ergonomically, everything just, it works for you. Then that's the gun for you. For me, it's a few different guns. And I've talked about those in the past. I really, really like Glocks. I really, really like 1911s. I... I'm totally not done being pissed at Smith & Wesson throughout the years. And yeah, I know somebody else owns them now, but they still never apologize or change policy and all that stuff. So I don't really care about who else owns them. They're still screwed up. I'm not totally forgiving Smith & Wesson, but I'm kind of interested in some of their guns. Uh, I want to I deal with some, I'll shoot some 9mm from Smith & Wesson and check them out. Uh, kind of impressive with some of the feedback that they've been getting. I want to check those out in the future. Uh, I can't do it here in Japan, but sometime in the future I'll be able to. But, you know, I don't totally sell myself to any one gun. I know what I like, and I'll tell you what I like, and I'll tell you what I don't like. And I think I've done that before. But anyway, I hope that's not too much of a tangent for you, and it really answered your question. And once again, I appreciate you asking the question. It's definitely a good question. And you're not the only email that I got. Uh, you're just the one I picked. I've got people ask me all the time what pistol they should buy. And it's a good question for someone who's kind of new to this. Uh, because there's so many things you got to think about. And I hope you guys, you know, think about all those things. And the first pistol you get, it may not be the best choice for you. You know, you may not, you might be 20 years from now when you actually find that pistol that you really, really like and that really worked perfect for you. But that's the quest we're all on right now. And it's a fun quest, so thanks for riding with us. Anyway, thanks for asking that, uh, Joshua. And I hope that did your question justice. All right, well, that's pretty much all I've got for episode number 30. Uh, I've got a few more emails that I'm going to hit later on. Told you next, before the next few shows, I'll probably knock out a, one or two emails before I just kick off the shows and uh, start dwelling or knocking down some of these emails. I really appreciate the questions, guys, and I really enjoy answering them. If you have any more questions or anybody out there is listening has questions, they want to ask anything or elaborate on my answers on any of these questions, uh, by all means, send me an email to daniel at gunfightercast.com. If you hated my answer or you hated what my thoughts on were on something or whatever, send me an email so we can discuss it. I, you know, I'd like to see what you think about it. Uh, I know what I think about things, and I'd like to see what other people think about it. So by all means, shoot me an email, daniel at gunfightercast.com. But anyway, that's pretty much it for episode number 30 of Gunfighter Cast, and I've been around for 30 whole episodes now. 
Uh, seems like I just started yesterday. Probably sounds like it too. But anyway, thanks a lot for listening and downloading and all that good stuff. And until next time, can't wait to see you again. Gunfighter Cat out.